Have you ever wondered what happened to legendary Chuck Norris? He's in his 80s and still is kicking butt and working out and staying active. What's even more shocking is he's stronger, can work out longer, and even has plenty of energy left over for his grandkids. He did this by just making one change. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife even started doing this one thing too, and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger, her body looks leaner, and she has energy all day. Chuck's made a 20-minute video explaining step-by-step how anyone can do the same thing to see incredible changes in their health. Go to mymorningkick.com forward slash sog and watch chuck's video right now again that's m y m o r n i n g k i c k dot com forward slash sog save big money at menards let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from ad force it's easy to install durable against the elements and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through may 5th and check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on menards.com save big money at Welcome to Sodcast number 18. Welcome tonight, and thank you to Jocko Willink Productions. We are able to bring this interview to you live from North Carolina. And we thank uh, tonight, we have a special guest, a longtime friend who I served together with at CCN. And uh, tonight, we want to welcome Cletus Babyson, senior to the show. Cletus, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. I was going to start the show out with. Uh, uh, instead of having a really great war story, which of which you've got many, and your history is so rich, um, I was going to start off the story with me leaving after my first tour of duty. You and I were both up on Marble Mountain. I was on the one mountain, right. you're on the other one, and you saw me leaving. It was my last day on my first tour of duty. I was leaving, and you came down and gave me a goodbye hug. It's like I took that hug home with me, brother. I got to tell you that. But uh, uh, more importantly. Um, you have a unique history, and when I was at CCN and finally met you in early '69, right? You, Dave Maurer, were two men that I held in the highest esteem because on your right shoulder patch you had the first calf, and over time, because you're both so damn humble, you wouldn't talk about it much. You were both in the first calf. And a little valley called the I Drang Valley in 1965, November. And you went in before the historic battle, battles thereafter, as a um, scout? Uh, I was in a Pathfinder detachment. Pathfinder, that's the word, which the is no 11th, longer in the Actually, army. it was the 11th Pathfinder Company, the only company sized Pathfinder unit ever deployed to combat. No. Yes. So uh, before we get into a couple of your excellent stories from your days as a 1-0 running recon at CCN, I just am obligated because few Americans know. They, they've seen the movie. It's a great film about the first major battle between American forces and the North Vietnamese Army. But you were there before the battle, and to this day it just blows my mind that you and a couple of your fellow Pathfinders were out there doing recon prior to first historic battle of that major, of the war itself. So uh, start a little bit. You landed there at uh, 
uh, outside of the um, Idrang Valley, and you were with that, that Pathfinder unit. So talk to us a little bit about that before we get into your SOG story, sir, if you don't mind. We uh, landed by ship at Queen Yon, South Vietnam. And the, you took a ship over it. Yes, no ship. A ship. <laughs> and uh, it was a 30, 30 day cruise oh. from hell. And not enough bathrooms, <laughs> not enough deck space to work uh, in your suntan, no PT, uh, no uh, weapons. Oh, we did PT. We oh, ran, is that right? We ran around the deck and we did oh. target practice off the fan tail of the ship. They uh, put uh, barrels. Uh, on ropes and drop them off the back of the ship and we we zeroed our new M16s on those barrels. Now was that the M16, the early version with the three prongs at the end before the first, we find the flash suppressor on it? We took them out of the box before we got on the bus at Fort Benning, Georgia oh, and wow. took them out of the box, left yeah. the boxes in a, a dumpster there, <laughs> loaded on the bus and left Charleston uh and august 14th of uh 1965 wow no kidding uss darby darby for so for 30 days you float across the southeast asia welcome so you landed where around the cameron bay then no we landed uh, the ship we landed in uh quinyon oh, okay we went through the canal zone to long beach where they restocked the ship refuel Right. Uh, for a day or so and uh no shore leave or anything huh no no, no. shore leave <laughs> <laughs> but uh and then we next stop was Quignon. no kidding welcome to vietnam yeah and uh we uh were transported by chinook helicopters to on which is uh probably 200 miles inland from Quignon. Uh, to set up our base camp. We had an advance party uh, at Ankei that had already cleared the uh, helicopter pad, and there was a, uh, a fixed-wing airstrip there, but they had already gone in and uh, set that up for the aircraft. And uh, we uh, st- uh, slept in pup tents. We had two men pup tents and we slept in pup tents till the GP mediums were shipped in from uh, Quignon off the ship. And a GP medium can hold how many men? Well, we... <laughs> uh, comfort, I'm sorry. Comfort. <laughs> we had a team, uh, each uh, Pathfinder team had a GP medium and there was uh, uh, 15 of us on each oh, team. Oh, one of those big tents. Yes. And it's canvas and it's hotter than hell in the summertime. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh. Oh, yes. And you're down two core? That was two core or three? That was two core. Okay. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, so you're there at some point. You're getting used to it. Now, the other interesting aspect of this story with you in Vietnam was the fact that at some point, just for the hell of it, you were kind of bored. You, you rode as the first door gunner in the first cab with your M16 before they had M60s or mini guns or rocket pods or anything. Is that before or after the Battle of Idrang Valley? This is all before the uh, first cav went operational. Uh, <laughs> somehow in the great scheme of things, they hadn't thought about having anyone in the helicopter to shoot <laughs> back. 
So uh, 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 Bruce Crandall, Major Crandall, he was and the, Just for the record, Bruce, I got my Medal of Honor later than anybody else, but I got it, Crandall, right. from the first Cav. And if you've seen the movie We Were Soldiers Once, you'll see his portrayal, which was, I forget the actor's name, but he did a hell of a job. But I was his uh, first door gunner. His and, first uh, door gunner with the M16. With an M16. <laughs> and it, it, what he was doing, it, uh, he was the 101st uh, Airborne was pulling security for the 1st Cavalry Division on their <laughs> perimeter uh, until no. we could uh, get a division base camp set up. Okay. And uh, for the first so, time he moved the 101st, from one patrol spot, they moved them every day, right, to keep confusion for the any attacks that might Indeed. occur. So this is the 101st Airborne Division did base security for the first cav. I just wanted to make sure I heard that correctly. That's correct. <laughs> okay, moving right along with the story, <laughs> sir. But uh, uh, Colonel Crandall got shot at the first first day that he was uh, moving the security around. Yeah. And he came back to the aviation commander, Colonel Burdett, and told him that uh, he needed someone sitting in that aircraft shooting back when he was receiving fire. And uh, they came to the Pathfinder Company and asked for volunteers uh, to fly door gunner. And uh, <laughs> we were digging stumps and uh, clearing perimeter and of putting course. out concertina wire and all oh. this stuff. and. The privates were uh, very employed with that, but uh, the volunteer thing uh, seemed like a good idea. So uh, several of us volunteered. That's one of the first, the only times you ever, you ever other than SOG, it's one of the few times you, volu- you um, failed to follow the first rule of the Army, never volunteer for anything. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah. Oh, my God. But we... Uh, uh, Fortunately, I got Colonel or Major Crandall. Uh, I was selected for his uh, door gunner, and uh, my buddy. Uh, uh, I can't. Uh, It'll come to you. Uh, we'll get back to him. But anyway, my buddy uh, flew uh, for uh, Ed Freeman. Really, he, he was called too t- tall to fly <laughs> because he was uh, over. Uh, he's around six eight. Right, and uh, he was he was disqualified by medical standards because of his height to fly. But somehow it worked out that he was uh, uh, the wingman. And again, just for, for the record, we have to point out that Mr. Freeman received his Medal of Honor in a timely fashion. That's true. My God, very true. What history! But uh, we flew. I, I, all of us had our. Uh, 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 air metal before the uh, first cab ever. And the went air metal was a V device, probably because you guys were. Uh, no, it was well. It was just air metal and air metal. There's no. Sure. I don't think there's a V on it, but uh, okay. But uh, you have to have uh, at least uh, sixteen. At that time, you had to have sixteen uh, uh, salts into an LC before you could receive. Right, I remember with us, we had to keep a log. Right. Before you could even be put in for the medal. Right. 
but, oh my god uh, but yeah. before we ever went operational yeah. all of us had received you were there a, already right but uh. it was uh uh, trying times, but they, we found out the first flight that the M16s were not going to work because... She had to change magazines. Yeah, and uh, we taped the magazines together where we'd have three and we'd rotate them. Three? That didn't work <laughs> long. I wait, mean, wait, how did you do three? I'm well, used to two. Flip one in the other, flip but one, three? Flip one in the middle and the okay. other two. No kidding. But, uh, okay. That, uh, that's 60 rounds of ammo. So uh, 60 rounds, if you're or receiving— Or 54, because you're only doing two, keeping two out right. in the mag. Right. So the springs don't break on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, technically, yes. Indeed. But, but uh, we uh, discussed what we were going to do, and we suggested to uh, Major Crandall that we uh, attach the— uh, G-13 parachute cord to the roof of the aircraft with a clip hanging down the handle, carrying handle on an M-60 machine gun fit right into the uh, snap link of the parachute cord. Oh, and, perfect, uh, yeah. Uh, that's what we used. From thereafter. To, from thereafter. We had a 50 caliber ammo box that we linked up uh, 7.62 ammo for the machine gun we could right. we could have three to five thousand rounds of ammo wow it linked up ready for flight so that's what we use so even in the early part of war i assume there's time you went through quite a few rounds oh yes <laughs> several several boxes yeah this is all before the infamous battle that's of the Idrang valley before the uh first cav went operational so while you're earning your air medal flying with him at some point the CO or whoever your commanding officer NCOIC was says hey we pathfinders we got a mission in this valley what was that like getting that marching orders and then actually going out what was your uh, I mean I I think I know what it would be but it's better hearing it from the man who was on the ground really uh, it was just a a part of the job we're do, we're going back from door gunner you're too modest to baby what son. We, to what we were trying to do yeah well to, you're doing your door gunner you're like a volunteer to get off sandbag duty but you're still out there which is the, uh, during our time we between us ground pounders they said that door gunners by 67 and 68 their life expectancy was five to ten minutes true in a combat zone true so here you are, just in your spare time, fighting those kind of odds. And some of the time they said, here, run this mission, which at the time, did you have any intel reports at all about the NVA division or battalion or whatever the hell it was that was there already? No, that was way north of where we were. Uh, really? That was, yeah, up at uh, uh, Pleiku. Okay. In that area. And uh, we had no idea. We were just protecting the division area and making milk runs for the 101st and carrying food out to the troops. And uh, and so then it comes around, it's time for the pathfinders to hit the ground prior to the Idrang Valley, the insertion of the troops there. By that time, they had trained uh, door gunners. They had door mounts in the helicopters uh, ready for the door gunners that were trained. And they come in and took the mission, and we went back to doing our pathfinder duties, which was to set up landing zones and direct aircraft when they were coming into the landing zones. Right. So 
you were on the ground for how many days before the actual assault occurs? Because you're down there, just you with a two-man team. I'm not familiar how the Pathfinders worked. It was usually, uh, you was either you could be in 30 minutes before the aircraft. They, actually, they drop you off 30 minutes before, or you could be overnight. Right. Uh, so in this case, you're in there, you clear the LZs, you bring the helicopters in, the shit hits the fan. Are you still there? What capacity? How's your role changed at that point? We still control that LZ until the infantry uh, go, moves out doing their uh, mission, uh, patrolling. Sure. And uh, looking for the enemy. And at that point, uh, you either move with the infantry company or battalion or whatever size the unit is, you move with them or uh, you're pulled back and uh, set up another LZ somewhere else They'll right. it, where they're going to need to move troops to. So you were busy there for a while because then they oh, had yeah. the second battle and the third battle, which was just horrific in nature. Well, really, the uh, combat portion of it started uh, at the Play Me Special Forces camp. That's where it all began. That's where it all began because they uh, they were trying to overrun Play Me Special Forces camp. And uh, the first cav was, uh, I think that was the second of the fifth and the first of the twelfth cavalry that uh, went in to Play Me. LZ is outside of Play Me. And uh, we were setting up LZs for those units, those two battalions, to come in. So a lot of uh, Pathfinders were busy. We hopscotched for those infantry troops down the valley. Uh, I can't remember how many LZs, but I was, I was only on uh, one or two LZs uh, because we alternated Pathfinders. And I went back to the rear area to uh, uh, Camp Holloway at Pleiku. That's where we were staged. And uh, uh, I was redirected to uh, me and uh, two other pathfinders were directed to the turkey farm. That's what, turkey it, farm. That's what it was called, turkey farm control was our <laughs> call sign. But it was a tea plantation owned by a French uh, farmer. Of course. And uh, who paid bribes to the VC they, so he wouldn't mess with his tea. They, right. It protected him. <laughs> he was willing because we were protecting him from the NVA because yeah. they're in that valley, and uh, we were like uh, 30 miles from the uh, mountain where the LZ X-ray was finally set up. Right. But uh, we uh, hopscotched from uh, play, uh, play Me Special Forces Camp down to uh, before the mountain, before we got anywhere near LZ X-Ray, we broke contact and pulled the uh, other two uh, battalions out. And uh, it was a week or so later when the 7th Cav went into LZ X-Ray. Wow. And uh, I wasn't a part of that. I was running the uh, resupply point, which was that airfield uh, at uh, the tea plantation. 
And that was no that was no cakewalk because when you were coming in and out, you guys were getting hammered. Well, uh, one night we watched the VC uh, uh, come down the side of the airfield. We we didn't go inside the perimeter where the uh, uh, first of the fifth and the second of the twelfth were brought back to before right. uh, uh, after they finished their battle. They uh, recovered there, and uh, we were uh, uh, sitting there one night. We stayed out on the airfield instead of going back to where there's secure area. We'd stay there at night and uh, being a pathfinder and all, just, just keeping just, an eye out. Things. Just uh, if somebody stayed awake all night, but oh, yeah. uh, there was, aircraft would come in at night too. But, sure. Uh, we uh, one night we watched the VC come down the fore side of the airfield and attack the uh, supply uh, depot at the uh, tea plantation. No. And uh, we just stayed low and let what happened happen. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so at some point that all wrapped up. You come back to the states. Is there anything else exciting during that first tour of duty? Because that's just an incredible experience in the early part of the war to be there at that phase for that battle. And then you had your tour of duty with the first CAV. That at some point you hear about, learn about, smell about special forces, and you say, someday I want to be a Green Beret. Really, uh, in jump school. Really, in jump school. Really, in jump school. The idea formulated because. Uh, Charlie Gray. Uh, Charlie. Charlie Gray, who was a future SOG guy. Indeed. Uh, was in jump school in our class. And uh, Charlie had uh, come out of Korea to go to Special Forces training, and he right. had to go to jump school. But he was a, he was a senior guy in our barracks. Uh, and nobody messed school. with Charlie. Nobody messed with Charlie. Oh. But uh, he... <laughs> <laughs> he was uh uh he really helped us out a lot he uh, he taught us a lot he wasn't overbearing with his leadership but he 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 was big enough to influence and back it up <laughs> indeed or just kick your ass if you got out of line but when we graduated <laughs> when we graduated from jump school he uh last time i saw him in jump school he was leaving with two guys with a green beret on and oh. I, you know, it kind of uh, formed up in the back of my mind. Sure. And, and uh, you do your tour of duty, you come back, and meanwhile you're thinking in the back of your mind, you being the, the big thinker that you were at that time. I, when I came back from Vietnam uh, in June, late June, July of uh, 66, I was assigned to the uh, 82nd Airborne Division. And Just down the street from Green Berets. Training. Right. Yes. And uh, <laughs> I served as a squad leader uh, in the uh, 82nd for two years. Re- really? Re-enlisted for special forces. Wow. So uh, uh, the January, 2nd of January, we started our class. And uh, most of us were combat veterans that were in that really? class. Larry Treble was one in the class. No. Uh, 
I don't, uh, there were several that went to SOG that were in that class of special forces. We were all weapons sure. class, but uh, the boy we, toy class. They they uh, they uh, brought in some privates, like uh, John Plaster was one. Uh, uh, the baby SF program was kicking in. Gilmer, uh, there there was just a, a number of them that were in our uh, MOI class. Sure, and John L. Plaster just happens to be SOGCAST number 10, for those in the audience who might be interested someday to dial in. But, uh, yes, I'm sorry, go ahead, sir. But uh, <laughs> uh, we uh, uh, started MOI, MOI and uh, our instructor was... Uh, 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 Mar Mo. Mo Worley, Mo Worley, in your MOS class, and how how did he teach his class? Because that He's method I'll never of, forget that story. He was method of his method of instruction, and he was one of the best instructors I I think that I, that I've ever known. Sure, but uh, he was in a cast, a body cast, from his waist up. His arm had a, a rod running running from right. his arm to his shoulder. Oh. And it was cast solid. His left arm was free, but uh, so he could pick his nose and wipe himself. I, that, that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> but he—he he was so impressed. I, I was so impressed because this guy oh. injured that way already back working, giving uh, methods of instruction to a bunch of new SF yeah. guys. Oh and, my God. Talk about living legends, and again, the injuries he acquired was on a SOG recon mission. I had no idea until later. Much many years later, because he's so humble, he never talked about right. it. Right? Yeah. I had no idea until later. Oh my and, God! Uh, yeah. So Mo Morris Mo Worley, the first, the one, and the only. He, uh, we uh, finished the uh, method of instructions, and then the uh, we went to the uh, field exercise. After the field exercise, we uh, went into the weapons class. Well, Mo Worley showed up as an instructor in the weapons class. And uh, he had his cast off, and he was, he was somewhat back to normal. <laughs> and uh, he was even better instructor because he's recovering from oh, his yeah. injuries. But uh, he, he, he really made a lasting impression on me. And I didn't find out till uh, after I went to SOG that he had actually gotten injured out of uh, Contoon. Contoon, out of uh, B2. Running recon. Wow. And So you finally get through it all. You graduate, do the FTX, your final FTX, phase two. At some point, which would be what time? Did you get, did you get the leave prior to going to uh, Vietnam? Yes, uh I, I took a 30-day leave uh, home, and I took my family back to Alabama and set them up, got, them in, got the children in school, Indeed. and left, left for Vietnam. And when was this? This was August of 66. Uh, no kidding. Yeah. Wow. So you returned to Vietnam, and where do you, where's your first assignment then? We had uh, out of... Uh, training group 
we had direct orders. There was 12 of us uh, that had orders directly to uh, SOG. Really? Yes. Department of the Army, they couldn't, they were diverting NCOs at Cameron Bay to the infantry outfit, whether right. you had a beret or not at that time. But they couldn't do it because we was under the Department of Army orders to be directly to SOG. Yeah, because by 60, this is 67, you said? 66. Sixty-six. Yeah, so they're looking, by that time, anybody with combat experience, or would it be 67? Wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no. Yeah, because no. you landed there, came home in 66, did your training, so it would be 67. It would be, we finished in January of, we started weapons training January 68. There we go. Now, we're back on track. Sure. By 68, uh, we graduated in July, late July of 68 and our orders was to be in uh uh cameron bay no they uh, report to the train in fort lewis by oh, august right. august uh whatever but you're there now from there you yeah. go to the train a little in-country training you get your in-country training for three weeks we had no in-country training no because you had your direct orders well <laughs> we, they held us up. And they said they were processing us. I don't know why they held us up, but on uh, August 24th, the morning of August 24th, uh, somebody come running over to the tent. So right we now were. you're in the train. You've, you've arrived from the States. You're in the train at the base camp for all SF Fifth operations. Group, yeah. Fifth Group Headquarters. So it's August 24th, 1968. Right. Or it may have been the 23rd, because the attack was in the morning, and they came in for hey, but take it from there, because this is the historic battle at Da Nang. Okay, uh, 23rd. The attack was the night of the 23rd, right? It was the morning. Like, midnight goes past, so they hit around 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And then they needed reaction All right, so it was the morning of the 24th that the attack actually occurred. No, the 23rd. Uh, the morning of the 23rd attack. And then you went up that, that's when you got the word about the attack and you okay, shipped so your troops north. it was the 23rd that we got yes, there Yes, sir. Then. Yeah. Because you react, it's like right. a reaction force right. from the train. Right. So, and but again, this is what's unique about your story. You land in the train, which is the base, you're going to get some in-country training. Instead, it's August 23rd, where there was an NVA sapper attack at FOB4 in Da Nang, where they killed 16 Green Berets. To this day, the most historic, tragic loss of Green Berets in one day. Right. And they needed a reaction mm -hmm. force with clout. They, they turn to you guys and go, go to the dang FOB4. You report in there. Instead of getting any in-country trade, of course, you're a combat vet, so you be cool. Not to worry. But welcome to the secret war. You report to FOB4. And coming down Highway 1, what was that like walking into that base after that tremendous, unbelievable battle? If you remember the old bus, we had the old... <laughs> School bus <laughs> Indeed. type bus yes. uh, that picked us up at the airport. Uh, no. We got on the Blackbird and we couldn't understand the, the camouflage green and black. Yeah, so you're in the train. Aircraft. Yeah, well, there what you the go. heck is this? We really hadn't dawned on us really what we were getting into. <laughs> and uh, we uh, were on the bus and we're going through the front gate of FOB 4. 
and I'm thinking uh, one strand of concertina wire around the front of that compound all the way to the back to the beach was all that was between the NVA. POW camp. And Well, the POW camp was completely secure because they had strands and strands yeah, but of concertina. But at our base, at, at FOB4 at the time, you were underwhelmed with the security you saw. Absolutely. I mean, just on the bus. Yeah. And before I even got off and saw. So at this point, were you an E4, E5? I was an E5. Oh, you had all that rank. I forgot what, <laughs> what a powerful dude you were. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Sergeant Senior arrives. You come on base, and welcome to the secret war. Well, we didn't know it was a secret war yet. Because, you didn't get your briefing. Uh, they were too busy. You're too busy reacting. Recovering. Pick up that body. And we helped. We helped in recovering the camp. Uh, we they set up security finally, I guess, because Recon Company had the uh, security posted along the beach right. area. And they the got hatchet, a little bit more serious about it then. Yes, we were actually. They had posts along that and we started digging trenches so just for our listeners who might be coming into episode 17 here for the first time um fob4 was on the beach in china beast in denang it was in the south part of denang and it was a top secret base that had been hit by a sapper attack and um the security at the beach had been lacking but the the attack was took over a year for them to plan they hit at night they had sappers that came in wearing headbands that said, we came here to die. They did, plenty of them. And for several hours, there was like sheer hell on that during that night. We've interviewed Larry Trimble in an earlier sawcast. He was on the mountain who took out the mortar units. Had they not, there would have been far more casualties. And uh, so you come in, and there are still the, the bases on fire, different places, buildings are smoking. They're picking up our wounded. Blood picking everywhere. up the dead. Blood and everywhere. Back to you, sir, because you're the man walking into this picture. Well, it, is, it, it, it was shocking, but uh, believable because of lack of security. And uh, uh, I was concerned. It didn't bother me too much to be out there setting up new security. Uh, the guy that came in with us, was uh, Staff Sergeant Morgan. He uh, was put, he get, was given, he was an engineer and he was given the responsibility. He didn't come out of tra training group, he was just part of a group that was on, of our group that was on orders to come to SOC. Right. But uh, he was given the responsibility for setting up the minefield, the barbed wire, all the obstacles of the new defense parameter. Hmm. And that was his sole responsibility. And they gave him details of uh, indigs or whatever, Americans, whoever could get, or they could get to help him. Right. And uh, they built another uh, tower. The uh, CBs come in and built another guard tower down on the beach side of the uh, perimeter. And then they repaired the damage to the comm center. Right. And they the new talk was damaged, but it withstood the, uh, the right. attack. 
but they built a, a they actually reinforced all of it except the uh, uh, S1 building, the uh, camp headquarters. But uh, uh, Larry Trimble, by the way, was in my uh, weapons class. No. He graduated from Special Forces training in the same Little class. Little did you know Larry was up on the mountain with no, his own No, I didn't know issues. it till he, till he came down. <laughs> till he came down. He came down the... I think they replaced him with another team. Well, a few days later, but yeah. he had that little issue of his ditch leaving right. him. He was the Lone Ranger for a while out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, oh, uh, my God. But uh, that was uh, it was a couple of days before uh, Colonel Warren called the new replacements into his office. And uh, uh, we were sitting there waiting for him, and he walked into the office and uh, introduced himself. And You're up at C, at the headquarters. Up at the headquarters, okay. and in the commander's office. And uh, oh, really? Yes. And, oh, you uh, got the big briefing. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he uh, he welcomed us to uh, C and C, and he said, uh, uh, "I've got to show you this map." And he opened the map. It was a plywood cover for the map and he opened the doors to the map and uh, he had the map of Vietnam there was a red line down through uh, the Vietnam border and uh, he said you're living here at Da Nang and he pointed to the map to Da Nang you're living here this is your home your job if you stay here will be over here over the, red, the fence. over the red line. Yeah. <laughs> and he said... Uh, Indian territory. He closed the mouth and said, uh, those of you who are don't want to be a part of that operation need to leave now. Wow. And uh, nobody got up. Then they uh, brought out the... Uh, the NDAs? Non, non, non-disclosure... Agreements, yes, indeed. Agreement. And... Uh, you can't talk to anybody for 20 years. If you do, yeah, we will right. prosecute you federally. Right. And Indeed. then he uh, broke us down. Most of us went to Recon Company and uh, a few hatchet force, but uh, most of us. And uh, uh, welcome to Recon World. <laughs> I was uh, sent to uh, R.T. Moccasin. At that time, it was S.T., Right, because there were STs until January right. 1st, and they changed everything to right. RTs because right. they figured the bad guys knew what the STs were, RTs. But the uh, I was on ST Moccasin with, uh, who was uh, Lonnie Stone. Lonnie Stone was a sergeant first class. He had no combat experience, but he was the team leader of yeah. RT Mo- or ST and this is after the attack. They lost a lot of pe- well, people. I don't know how many people they lost for the recon company. They only lost a I, few. I, I, I'm not sure how many, yeah. but there, there was a good number. Oh, yeah. But uh, uh, we started training, and uh, I started learning the ropes, all the movements and uh, breaking contact and so was Moccasin a yard, Montagnard team or Vietnamese? No, it was Vietnamese. Okay, how's your, how's your, when you got introduced to them, they must have been happy because you're like the same height as they were. Well, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was fine. I, <laughs> I mean, uh, 
It wasn't like my meeting with my zero one. He looked at me and goes, you, your feet are too big, you're too tall, and you look stupid. I would yeah. say I fit in better. <laughs> yeah, much better. <laughs> now, plus, you were a combat vet. Yes. They, they knew what a combat patch was, and by that yes. time, yes. everybody knew what the first calf had been through in that valley of hell. But we uh, went through a training cycle, and uh, they sent us on our first mission was to Bamatuit to CCS. Really? And our mission— At that uh, time, that would be five. Right. Yeah. And uh, we were given a mission of a POW snatch and briefed and debriefed and— uh, our mission was planned to go in the next day at uh, 5 o'clock. We would fly. And you were flying to Cambodia? We were flying north to the Fishhook. Oh, the Fishhook area, okay. And, and for our listeners, the Fishhook area was Laos, Cambodia, and Vietnam. Right. And there were in, several infiltration routes into South Vietnam for there, which was right. a major area of contention for FOB 2 and 5, which later became CCS. Right. And we lost some major teams in there. Right. And uh, we, uh, the night before we uh, was to uh, insert, a guy kept riding a motorcycle up down the hallway of the uh, room, barracks we were staying in. And I kept telling uh, Lonnie Stone, I said, Sarge, you're the, you're the team leader. You need to go out there and stop that guy so we can get some rest. And he wouldn't do it. And finally, I got up. I walked out in the hallway. <laughs> and uh, the guy come down the hallway, and he stopped the motorcycle right there at my legs. And he said, can I help you? And I said, you sure could. If you please turn that motorcycle off and uh, stop running up down this hall so we can get some rest. We're launching at 5 o'clock in the morning. I'd sure appreciate it. He said, you got it. And he... Uh, turned the motorcycle off and pushed it out. Little did I know until later it was Mad Dog Shriver. No. The legend of CCS, probably <laughs> well, of SOG. Indeed, and we have a book coming out soon that we'll talk about in a few future episodes here. But yes, Mad Dog, Jerry, a.k.a. Mad Dog Shriver, appropriately named. Appropriately named. <laughs> a great moniker for that individual. The Mad Dog was riding the motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> what a small world. Yeah. So I, you finally launched. And how the launch, you said you were going to launch late in the day for a reason? No, or? early. Early, okay. Early. early. Um, and thank at, you for the accuracy. At daylight, we flew. We got in, inserted early in the morning. It was probably 7, seven or 8 o'clock before we actually hit the uh, landing zone, insert. And uh, we moved for a couple of days and we came up on a, a trail. So, so let me just hold you up for a second. The the that area, that area of operations. What was the canopy like? Were you in double, triple canopy, or was it like because it been by that time there'd been some significant bombing and it, napalm runs. We didn't see any. Uh, uh, it, it was just jungle. It, uh, triple canopy. It, it, not really, not okay. like not like in Laos. Uh, right, it was a uh, it was just jungle. It wasn't double canopy. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Uh, 
and uh, moving was okay. You know, you get a wait a minute vine here and there, but uh, oh. not thick, <laughs> uh, like like I found uh, like I found later. Yeah. But uh, we moved for a couple of days, and we were moving slow and easy, and we came up on a trail, and we found a uh, bamboo frame for maybe a battalion size uh, force in the along the trail and uh Lonnie Stone uh left me uh and the indige there along the trail and we were looking for a prisoner. We were supposed to make a prisoner snatch. Sure. And he said, I'm gonna go up here and photograph this bivouac area and he did and uh while he was gone up the trail comes uh a man in a uniform with an AK, folding stock AK over his shoulder, whistling. Whistling? Whistling. Was he and whistling Dixie? I, I don't think it was Dixie, no. but... <laughs> Singing the Ho Chi Minh hymn. But he, uh, uh, he was far enough down the trail till I had time to uh, set the team up who was going to grab the legs, who was going to grab the arms, and I had the silence pistol. I was going to shoot him. The, the twenty-two standard I was going to shoot power, him. Yeah. I was going to shoot him before he... Yes. Before, before and where were you going to shoot him, just so our audience doesn't know you're going to be so... Yeah. And a leg or the, an arm. Slow him down. I was just going to cripple him. Yeah. But, uh, and so maybe he wouldn't put up too much fight. And, <laughs> uh, uh, Stone came back to the group, Right and in the middle of you're looking at your potential POW? We're, we're watching them. The the NDs are watching, and I'm conversing with Stone, telling him what's going on. And I said, uh, we've got a guy coming up the trail. We're prepared to take him. And uh, he said, uh, we don't have time. I've got helicopters on short final. And I said, Lonnie, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. I said, where's the LZ? He said, just down the hill over the trail. I said, we need to snatch this guy. We can have him down on that LZ. Shoot him, pack him up, and take him home. And uh, he said no. And uh, he was at one zero. Oh, yeah. And excellent opportunity. And oh, I could just see that trip God. home after being there. Because you're already thinking about your bonus and your R&R. <laughs> So what'd you think about where's your R and R gonna be if you get this POW and get it back there alive? <laughs> but uh that all went out of the window. We had to get down because the guy's getting close enough now. So he whistled on up the trail. And uh as soon as he got out of sight we booked for the uh L Z and uh, we were there waiting on the helicopters when they sat down. Oh my god. But it was so perfect, close, but yet so far away. The Indians were more Pissed. upset than I was. They were upset because they knew what the deal was. They knew uh, knew there was going to be a reward if we Absolutely. did. Absolutely, yeah, and, of course. Uh, they were very <laughs> upset. They, we flew uh, back. They dropped us on top of, uh, I guess that's Korok. Mountain that's at the fish hook. I can't remember the well, name. Korok, way north by Quezon. Okay, it's yeah. not Korok, but there's another large mountain. Uh, we well, took you to a large hook. mountain. 
the thing is, this is your mission. They take you to the top of this mountain, and then after go they back. debrief us, after right. they debrief us oh. back in Bamatuit. Uh, really, they debrief us, mm-hmm. and they send us north back to that mountain, and uh, we pl- played the radio relay for other teams for a couple of weeks oh, before wow. we uh, came back to Bamatuit, and. Uh, we came back to after the radio relay. We uh, uh, came back to Bama to it and caught a uh, 123 back to Denang. Right. But, so is that uh, the, on that radio relay site? Was that where the Kings would take you in? Set the one wheel down. You jump out the door. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, <laughs> yeah. That, on the uh, you're talking about on the mountain. Yes, sir. Yeah, they they For dropped us off. Yeah, they, they dropped us off by helicopter, and then they picked us up by helicopter, kind of like Marble Mountain. Yeah, sure. Uh, only it's just a single peak, but uh, uh, we did. It was cool. There's nothing, no action, no wow, no. Uh, so you go back and uh, we go back to Bamatuit and back to Danang, and they take Lonnie uh, off the. Uh, one zero spot, and I guess I've become the one zero of R T Moccasin or S T Moccasin. Yeah, because you had combat experience. Yeah, you've been across the fence, and, uh, and you would have had a POW. <laughs> would have had a POW. First mission, indeed. It yeah. would have been icing uh, on the cake. Your cherry missing on top of that. Uh, right. My God. But uh, uh, they put Lonnie uh, flying Covey. Uh, Still don't understand that move either, but uh, <laughs> well, rank has its privileges sometimes, uh, which is I not guess. the rule is supposed to be experience first, but sometimes because of rank, and we've seen other examples of where that led us astray. That's but, the, but that's in your the, case, you become the one zero, so at that point, welcome to uh, one zero status. And, uh, 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 we had a guy, Skiba, that came in, and Skiba become the uh, one one and he had no combat experience either and before we ran another mission Galbert uh, was on uh, Larry Tremble's team Galbert had gone through special forces training with me too and uh, he had uh, come over on the plane with me to uh was part of your uh, train, group? Yeah, yeah, as part of the group. But he was on Tremble's team, and uh, Tremble transferred to ASP, I think. And uh, when he transferred to ASP, that left the 1-0 spot open, and Galbert told me, he said, I don't want to be a 1-0. I want you to come over and do the 1-0. And I thought about it f- for a day or two, and... Uh, Galbert and I talked some more, and I decided to move over to uh, Rattler. No kidding. And uh, I, I moved. That was up. a pretty good team. Uh, yes, it was. After but, Larry trained them up a little further, you well, picked up a team that had well, experience. Well, we had a Vietnamese team, right? And, and the uh, the Vietnamese interpreter could speak better English than I could. No uh, southern accent, right? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> well, he had a French accent, <laughs> but. Uh, but uh, he, uh, <clears throat> uh, I didn't trust him 
really from the beginning because he, he, he we we conversed and uh he told me i asked him i said uh where did you get all your education that you can speak such fluent english and he said uh i went to college in france hmm. and that made me a little nervous because i'm thinking that uh uh we knew other Vietnamese like Ho Chi Minh who had gone to France right, for education. Right, yeah. and it, it didn't add up. So. They had a very, very strong communist uh, power base there. But I wrestled with that <clears throat> for several days, and you know we did our training and PT and uh, rifle fire and all that. So what did it feel like to be the one zero at that point? I mean, after what you'd been through already, you had one mission successful. Well. You got the film back. He was happy about that. It could have been better, but welcome to the one zero. I mean, I just well, it, walking into that and then go to a new team. To me, it was no different than being a squad leader in the 82nd Airborne Division, except <laughs> you're doing it within the indigenous. Yeah. And uh, only difference you got an interpreter who may be hinky or maybe not. Exactly. That was my biggest concern. Sure. And uh, one day uh, there come a knock at the door of the hooch and I walk out and there's a mountain yard standing there with 11 compadres uh, saying we want you to recon team and I sat down on the step and tried to understand what he was trying to tell me and he said we want to be a recon team we want you to be our leader and uh, I called Galbert out of the hooch, and he sat down, and we talked with him. And uh, I told uh, the leader, he had introduced himself, his name was Two, T-H-I-E-U, Two. Uh, I told him, I said, uh, if you'll come back tomorrow afternoon, the same time, we'll uh, tell you what we're gonna do. Really? And he said, uh, okay, and they, the mountain yards moved back to the hatchet force area. And Galbert and I talked it over, you know, for 24 hours, and we decided that would be a excellent move. They picked us. They yeah, no kidding. They picked us. We didn't pick them. And with all the other stuff that went on with the Vietnamese deal, uh, we I'm feeling hinky about your interpreter. I mean, after the zero one, in some ways, the interpreter is more important because that's every right. connection, any kind of communication at all with your little people, it's critical. Right. And he could just say one or two words wrong, and you're screwed. Right. And, wow. But. Uh, so what became your new team? What was the name of that team that you formed up there with your yards who came to you? It was R.T. Rattler. It, 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 we replaced the Vietnamese no with the mountain yards. I took them to S-1. They transferred the, uh, uh, the mountain yards to the recon company. And they transferred. I don't know. I I don't know what they did with the Vietnamese. And you don't care. They were I, gone out of your They hair. were gone. They, they were gone. <laughs> but, uh, and really, in retrospect, that's the best thing that I could have ever done, or Galbert and I could have ever done. Oh, we yeah. did it as, 
sure. it wasn't my decision it was our decision but you two had your report it goes back so you knew each other really well there's no issue of trust there and he had already proven himself right. so you knew you had a good man when you're on the ground you're not worried about your back with him he was on my team at uh mccall <laughs> uh, which is Camp McCall for final your FTX training, which right. is the final phase of training right. in Special Forces. But uh, we had gone through all that. He had gone through weapons training with yeah. me. So I knew him, and uh, we had talked a lot during training. Sure. And uh, it just jailed, and it really it's the best thing that could have happened to either one of us. That was a good team. It you was. guys ran some it good was. missions out of there. We did. We had some good missions. We ran uh, six six missions. We only had one injury. Uh, Kia got shot through the hand. We got in an ambush. Uh, we went on a mission, and you're not going to believe this. Big Sid, the S1. Right. I don't know where you ever knew him. No, no, I don't remember the name. I'm sorry. Him, uh, That's before my coming to, down to Da Nang. Uh, Captain Nicholson, who was right. the Just, yeah, he was the S one officer. Yeah, he's the S one who never went to the field, who wrote a book saying, "Look at me." And a Master Sergeant Webb. Oh, I don't remember him. And okay. I, uh, I don't know where he came from, and I don't know where he went. But, You're just glad when he was gone. But well, we went on and on the mission, and uh, when we hit the LZ. Uh, uh, my recon team was the only recon team on that hatchet force, and that's unusual. So you're attached to a hatchet force. You're the first guys on the ground before they come in. Right. And then you're like a, a quick reaction force if they run into any trouble or right. if there's, yeah. And uh, Which is not an easy assignment. That no, is tough. No, and I, I hadn't expected anything like that because I, I thought we were going to just do um, recon. Do recon. Do your job. Right. And not babysit uh, a hatchet force. Well, not babysit. I'm, I'm being cruel here, but <laughs> be attached to a hatchet force in the hostile territory, and if they get into the shit, who's going to respond first? Your team. But in, we uh, hit the ground, and uh, it got formed up, uh, and we start movement, and just as we start movement, Guy in black pajamas ran off the LZ. Off the LZ? And uh, two raised his rifle to shoot him, and I, I, I pushed the barrel down. I, I told him, let him go. And uh, we started moving, and I got Galbert to take half the team to the rear of the hatchet force company, and I took uh, the point. Then you guys would be talking back and forth in the Irk Chance. I told uh, Galbert, I said, uh, when, we, when we'd moved maybe a, a, a click, a kilometer away from the LZ, I told him to start putting out uh, toe poppers. The little M14s that could blow off your toes when you step on them. But, uh, and we moved on, and he was, he was doing it, and uh, everybody had cleared... Uh, into an opening like a uh, bomb, bombed out area. It it wasn't B-52s, but it was cleaned out by bombs. So no brush, just a little light brush, but it was all open. 
But just as we uh, hit the tree line on the other side of the bomb area, the toe poppers started going off. There's one went off, and then a a few minutes, another one went off. And uh, Thank you, Mr. Gabbard. uh, Yes. Indeed. He was doing his job. (laughs) And uh, I think, too, remembered at the time that I pushed that barrel down that what I had in mind to do. But uh, it, it worked. I know at that point that there would be nobody behind us <laughs> and, <laughs> for a while. Yeah, at least for a, give you a while to get used to your A. I could concentrate in. on the front and Indeed. the sides. Uh, and with Gabbard in the back, you didn't have to worry about your rear. Right. Wow. But, but uh, we moved through the clearing. There's no leadership for the hatchet force. Uh, None easily recognizable by the recon team. No. Uh, no kidding. And we uh, come off the mountain down into a, a creek bed. Our mission was to find an oil line. They were trying to figure that out That first pipeline f- that we heard about. And this is at the yeah. end of 68 or early 69 now? This is early. Early 69. Wait a minute, 68. 68. We had the camp attack. We shut down. We shut down from October to January of 68. Right. No recon missions were run during that time. I don't, I, I'm sure you were that same thing because. No, the, we, we ran our ass off. Okay. Well, we were shut. North. I don't know yeah. why they shut us down from running any recon missions. Hmm. It, so it was early 69. When, in 69, we were running. That's when we came down to CCN, like okay. in the middle of January 69. All right. That's uh, where we met for the first time. Right. Maybe in the clubhouse. January uh, 1st, we had a recon team inserted, and we inserted after, with that hatchet force, we uh, inserted after the Hall, Hawes, and McGibbon. Which was another team that inserted up north out of FOB1 at the time. Right. Inserted in. Got hit at first light on New Year's Day, January first. Right. Right. Three Americans of KIA, the indigenous escape, and the whole psychological impact of right. of that sapper attack on that team. But uh, that that put a shock throughout. Uh, FOB one too, sure. Because yeah. Spider Parks had flown out. He was flying right. Covey at the time. Went right. out get a comma check at midnight, and yeah. then he came back in the morning. No comma. But. Uh, uh, got back to the it was after that right that we took the uh, hatchet force in with our first mission with the mountain yards and uh, but we were moving off and we hit that creek bed and an ambush opened up and uh, Kia was my point man and he opened fire and I opened fire and the two indigenous behind us opened up fire. Well, I'm expecting the hatchet force to deploy into the ambush. It didn't happen. But, uh, so, I... So did they do the DD mal which I is to get up and go the other way? They just stayed in place. They didn't move. I told, uh, I radioed Galbert. I, I told him, pick up the toe poppers and move back up the mountain and take the hatchet force in the rear with you and 
he did that, and we started moving. We backed out of the ambush, which is totally without any it. casualties. Oh, Kia got hit in the hand. In the hand. So you, pa- you passed him up. Put a a green <laughs> bandage around his hand and drove continue on. to march. Okay. But uh, we uh, withdrew. No further contact. We got back on the. When I cleared uh, the trees and into the clearing, uh, Houston, Captain Nicholson, and uh, Master Sergeant Webb were sitting huddled together in the center of that opening. No. And the Indians were everywhere. So I told Galbert, I said, you start on one side, put these uh, Indians in a... Uh, defensive defensive uh, perimeter and he did and uh, Lonnie Stone come up on the radio after we made contact after I come out I made contact with uh, the Covey yeah and told him what was going on and I told him we're low of ammo we need uh, resupply of ammo so you had steps of contact you're you're being your humble self here again. I mean, to get low on ammo, because you carried a significant ammo load. Oh, yeah. 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 But, so uh, there was a lot more contact here. You were using some ammo I, up I, for, Yes. You weren't just shooting at birds. No. I called an airstrike <laughs> in, though. When okay. I, when we moved back into the perimeter, I yeah. called the airstrike in, and we had uh, F-4s just eat that bottom up, uh, all that whole valley where that creek was. Right. And uh, there was so much confusion till I radioed Stone, and I told him we're low of ammo. I said, I want helicopters in here. We need to get out of here. I said, have, there's no control of the hatchet force. Uh, we're in a mess. We can't stay here. You've got right. to get us extracted. And uh, he said, I'll see what I can do. And uh, I let it go for a while, and then he came back up, and he said, we can't get aircraft into you today. I told him, well, uh, you've got the daylight in the morning to get aircraft in here. If I don't hear helicopter blades chopping in the air at daylight, I'm going to take all the Americans and the recon team and I'm leaving the indige here. The hatchet force. I'm gonna, I'm gonna E and E with the recon team and the Americans. The men you knew you trusted, who and, would actually fight when they see an enemy. And uh, <laughs> Charlie Gray was on relay at Leghorn, and he. Well, up there would have been it may have been Hickory, if you're coming oh, out of the Hickory. Hickory. It was yeah. Hickory. Yeah, Hickory. And Charlie it, Gray, knowing him, he's recovering from injuries. That's why they had him at the radio relay right. site because he got wounded in an accident somewhere. Right. Yeah. In, in the in the mountain, they, he no. was on the operation going back in. Yeah, they went back into, into the mountain, Marble Mountain. Marble Mountain. Went after the attack. Sure. Uh, and Charlie got wounded there. Yeah. His first of many. <laughs> but uh, he. Uh, but anyway. Uh, that, I didn't sleep at all that night. I mean, I was I was awake checking the perimeter. I, we had to indige, 
they had no idea what was going on and that uh they were that poorly trained wow there's no no american supervision none and no comma with you the recon team there to help out keep an eye out for things that's just well okay moving on with that unbelievable story sir. well the next morning the helicopters came in and at daylight and they lifted the entire force out and, really and uh some of your beloved kingbees come in for that one or not just regular conventional no, hunter first it was, uh, probably the hunter it was, first it was you is probably hunting first yeah the camp beagle by 69 yeah, yeah. but uh uh i don't know uh captain nicholson i guess went back to his staff duty and mm. big sid did and <clears throat> i don't know what happened to uh master sergeant Webb. but uh that was a a fiasco oh my god but i ran uh five more missions after that and then your tour of duty but we we you and i have a personal thing we have to get back to here because in april of 69 my team was given a mission at the mugia pass to go up there and to go in heavily fortified and blah 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 and that day you're out there heckling us they took a couple pictures which we used in our book <laughs> what i never realized was until you and i were at the sfa reunion in san antonio like seven years ago <laughs> and you and i were talking about that picture remember that day you were teasing me remember that day and you were heckling us when we were getting our pictures taken yes. oh yeah, the inspection. yeah general uh so still well yeah still well. yeah so he's yeah. we, we're we were there. coming off off the mountain yeah you that's right yeah. you were coming off and then right. you just came by to harass us <laughs> and you then you and i were talking in san antonio <laughs> right right <laughs> this is a very serious inspection sir <laughs> that but, picture that picture looks so serious but it they, no one will ever have any idea somehow we didn't quite get you flipping us the, the your your rabbit ear thing <laughs> But the reason why I want to return to this thing is our mission was to go to the Mugia Pass. And so you and I are in San Antonio talking over a beer. And you said, by the way, remember that day? And of course, you and I were laughing about that day because you were harassing us, getting our damn pictures taken. And you said, what's the mission? I said, well, we're going to go up to Mugia Pass for a couple of days and go in heavily and bomb trucks and do stuff like this. You go, really? <laughs> they came to me. I told them to fuck off. <laughs> That's a suicide mission. We ain't doing it. And you and I never talked about it. But no, that was just one of no. those missions. So that's a personal thing between you and I. Yeah. But oh my God. But also on a on a day to day operational basis, everything was so compartmentalized that sometimes we didn't talk enough. Yeah. Which would be that example. I mean, at FOB one, we had a clubhouse. We had our clubhouse at FOB four and now CCN, where when the guys came back, they talked. Right. But right. when it came to missions, prep, what you had done, like the Frenchman did that mission where they went in and blew up that uh, NVA fuel dump. Right. You know, they came back, they never talked about it. Some of you know, the quiet professionals don't talk about shit unless and you sit down with a one zero. We should have discussed with one another the one zeros should have talked with one another after every mission yeah as a group should have been an sop now should, we now we think been. about it 51 years later should have been yeah yeah indeed 
So, okay, so we, I'm sorry, we just had to take that little sidebar in life because I'll never forget. I've told so many people that story. I told Jocelyn a story, you know. I don't know if I did it on tape or not, but it's like, yeah, we did this mission, you know, and then Baby Song comes and we said, fuck off, we're not doing that. <laughs> but you had the experience, and we were still getting used to CCM. We had run some other targets right. that were in Laos across the border, but that was a big one, and this was right. all new for us. Right. And of course, you were—you had much more wisdom than I, than I did at that time. But yeah. uh, little did we say, had we talked, I would have said, "Excuse me, can you just maybe give this to that the Nicholson asshole? Let him go up there or something instead <laughs> of us." It would have been, yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Okay, I'm sorry, we got off track. So you wrap up your tour of duty. It's August. You return. You go back to Bragg, Fort Devens. I go back to Fort Bragg, uh, and. This is August 69 now. Right. And yeah. Did you get I, any leave when you went home yes, first? I, yeah, I took a leave. Go down to Alabama, check things out. Brought my wife back to Fort Bragg. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, uh, I moved on post when I came back, I, on post housing. Uh, instead of, I had a house in Fayetteville when I took her back to Alabama before I deployed to Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And I took the kids out of school and put them back at Fort Bragg. And uh, I ended up in the 7th group. Sergeant Major McIntosh was the uh, (laughs) B-team sergeant major. He got orders for Charlie Gray and several others from FOB4 were uh, in his B-team. Right, and McIntosh, just for the record, was one of our sergeant majors who we all Worshipped because yes. of his experience, he was with the 187th, did a combat jump or one or two into right. Korea. Right. And by the time he came to us, he's a he's a sergeant major, and nobody messed with him, and he nobody was good. Messed. He came to Fubai first before right. he came down right. to uh, after we closed Fubai, he came down with the Iceman, uh, Colonel Jack yes, Isler was the CO, and right. then McIntosh kicked ass and took numbers. Right. But he was good. He really listened to the men. Now. Yes. And you, I had, and him I had, had, you and him had a special report at some point. I had I had no problem with him. I mean, I I did my job, and uh, there's a lot of guys. If if you're a slacker, Esther was trouble. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, if if you're doing your jobs, <laughs> uh, everything's good. Well, yeah. My favorite Macintosh story, just as a sidebar, was. We were still at Fubai, and we just came back out of the field, and I'm going up to the clubhouse to get sodas for the guys. And he goes, Meyer, why is your hair so long? You gotta get a haircut. I said, sorry, Sergeant Major. We've been in the field, and had the missing bear, and bed. Oh, never mind, continue on. <laughs> he cared about the men in the mission first, none of that petty bullshit from camp. McIntosh was a, a, a super good leader. Uh, well, then you met with him, so you had a that part of your relationship with him that you continued on with that after right. you were in seventh group. Right. Uh, he had uh, Charlie Gray, uh, James Parker, uh, MJ. Uh, what was MJ's last name? MJ. Uh, he was an FB4 guy before I got there. Yeah. Uh, I knew I can, you from the clubhouse. Right. <laughs> but anyway, he had a bunch of us from FOB4 on the same A-team. Right. And the, the rest were 
uh, spread out amongst the other, uh, but the big majority of the 12 were uh, guys from FOB4. So again, Mr. Modesty's sitting here. Here's the sergeant major for the entire company. Says, I want you guys here with me. And uh, that's quite a that's a feather in your cap, brother. Well, he he would uh, he wouldn't say it that way, but that's what that he, effect was. He would uh, call Charlie and I up occasionally, and we'd have a shot of Jim Beam with him in the evening. <laughs> but uh, Charlie had uh, got an R and R to uh, Taiwan, I think. I think he went to Taiwan. He and two or three other guys uh, got one of those uh, C-130 maintenance flights. Indeed. And uh, they were at the R&R Center, and one day, a couple of weeks later, Sergeant Major asked me, he said, where's Charlie? Two uh, weeks later, because R&R is only five days. Right. So and he left, but two weeks later. <laughs> Charlie, uh, <laughs> Charlie, he said, uh, Where's Charlie? And I said, I don't know, sorry, man. The last I heard, he was on R and R. He said, His R and R is over. <laughs> I said, I don't know, sorry, major. I've not seen Charlie, <laughs> but he, he knew Charlie and I hung around together. But uh, he got to look. He called the R and R center, and uh, Charlie and I can't remember who the guys were, but anyway, they uh, found out that if they reported to the R and R center drunk they wouldn't let them on the plane to come back so every morning they came in drunk they'd they'd put on their uniform come to catch the plane and they've been drinking charlie so so they spent another week yeah in taiwan well the sergeant major called that r and r center and found out what was going on and he told the guy he said in the morning when they report you take their uniforms I don't care how you do it, get security, take their uniforms, don't let them leave the building. In the morning, give them their uniforms back and put them on the plane. <laughs> and I didn't know this till years later. No. What had happened after we come back to Bragg, Sergeant Major finally told, told me what happened. But, oh. uh, <laughs> but uh, he was a good man. But when Charlie got back, he sent him to Leghorn. Ooh, yeah. And uh, on radio relay. Again. This is the radio relay say where you were earlier in your tour of duty <laughs> after you're down at Bammy to it. And he, he, uh, uh, Sergeant Major left. He de roast. But I'd already de roast because, uh, I, I left before the Sergeant Major did because. I was packing up to go. Yeah, because he came at the FOB one like in the fall, like October right. or November, and you came in country in August. Right. So you're at least a month and a half, two months ahead of his right. one year tour of duty in Vietnam. So yeah. you're going home. McIntosh is now picking on me and Lynn Black. We're establishing our rapport with him. I'm I'm packed up to go on another mission, mm-hmm. and he walks into my hooch. And he says, uh, Sergeant, where do you think you're going? I said, I'm going on another mission, Sergeant Major. He put his hands on his shoulder, on his uh, waist, and he says, Sergeant, your your mission 
is to take that web gear and that rucksack down to supply. You turn the web, uh, the rucksack in, keep your web gear, you're pulling gate guard for the next 14 days, and uh, you can go to the train and eat all the ice cream you want to. You're going home to your family. You're not going on well, another mission. No kidding. He knew about that. Your D-Rose was. Yeah. Wow. But uh, They don't make sergeant marriage like that. Anymore. Well, maybe they do. He, he With SF, they well, might. Well, he knew I was going to brag. He did, I didn't know I was going to brag till <laughs> Talk about being last enough. Till I got to, yeah. till I got to group. I didn't no know I was, I was going to Fort Bragg. Well, that's why I thought I was gone. Then we wound up at 10th group. It's like, oh, my <laughs> God. I want to – never mind. Continue on, sir. <laughs> but uh, – and then I end uh, – all of us had orders to the 7th group, to a certain B team, and it was Sergeant Major McIntosh. I didn't know that till. <laughs> later because i got sidetracked to g3 i was working at the center so have and you made e6 yet or are you still a sergeant i made e6 yeah uh in vietnam uh during that tour yeah because you may have started saluting you because right. you're e6s <laughs> and we were just e4s <laughs> <laughs> but, uh anyway uh he uh i hear this voice i'm walking down the uh Puzzle Palace hallway, and I heard a voice, Sergeant, Sergeant. They kept on, Sergeant. And finally, I turned around and looked, and it was Sergeant Major McIntosh coming down the hallway. Oh, wow. And he picked me up off the floor and hugged me, bear hugged me. He said, Boy, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be in my B team in the seventh group. And he said, I said, Sergeant, Sergeant Major, set me down, <laughs> and we'll talk. <laughs> <laughs> he did <laughs> and uh he said uh, your orders are to uh report this was on a friday he said on monday morning you be at building such and such across from the center uh for the b team formation and no I, kidding i said sorry major i don't have orders he said i gave you your orders the right written orders will follow <laughs> And I'd been trying, I'd been trying to get on an A team, get back to an A team, yeah, for months, and uh, he uh, straightened it out. Got you on a B team though. In his B team, but yeah. Uh, and then I was on an A team. Because uh, we should, just for the record, you can explain a little bit. The A teams are the action teams. B teams support A at right. that time, and the C supports B, but the whole supply chain to keep the A teams moving. And right. that's why you wanted an A team as opposed to B. But when a sergeant major scarfs your ass up and goes, your orders will be here, be there Monday morning, right. ah, okay, you're only in E6, and you don't want to get busted E5 by saying no to the sergeant major. Well, you just didn't, you just didn't say no to McIntosh. No, no. no. I never did. <laughs> sure. But we, uh, uh, and everything worked out. Uh, I stayed uh, a couple of years with uh, – seventh group and couple years yeah no kidding and uh mcintosh retired maybe not a couple of years maybe it's a year because mcintosh retired and left the b team and things changed drastically in the company and uh i uh i put in for reassignment to recruiting duty and really? I went on recruiting duty for uh, 
several years, and then I. I so is it, was that within the SF, or was that regular army recruiting? No, regular army recruiting. I okay. was assigned to Panama City, Florida. Uh, that's where the scuba team from the seventh to come to do the refresher training. The combat divers. Yeah. They, sure. Yeah, they came there every uh, twice a year. You're running the Walt Shoemate down there. Yes. Of course. Yeah, all of them. All of them wow. came. Wow. But they he's a legend of our SF legends for combat divers. Right. right. Developed a program and everything else. Yeah. What a just a complete stud. But I, uh, uh, I'd always go out and dive with them when they come down for a refresher. Oh, is they'd, that right? They'd do one fun dive or, or, or two, and I'd go out and dive with them. So you go from door gunner in the first cab. <laughs> Now you're becoming a combat diver in your spare time in between recruiting. <laughs> but uh, I kept in contact with everybody, even Sergeant Major McIntosh. He, uh, he had retired, and uh, he called me in Panama City, Florida, and said, Sergeant, I want you to come to Fort Bragg. I want you to put my youngest son in the Army. Really? I, I said, Sergeant Major, I'm in Florida. I can't do that. He says, you can. <laughs> and you will. <laughs> and uh, I, I said, all right, Sergeant Major, I'll call uh, uh, recruiting headquarters, and I'll see what I can do. And I called the Sergeant Major at uh, Montgomery recruiting headquarters and told him the story, and he said, go on, take the car and go up there and put that Oh, no there. kidding. So I did, and I put his youngest son in the Army. But uh, then I lost, uh, let see, I left recruiting duty and went to back to the infantry in Alaska. In Alaska, and so by the time you were in E-7? I was at E-7, and uh, I was platoon sergeant, and I was an E-7P. And I, E-7P? Uh, yeah. And, Promotable? Uh, yeah. Okay. And... Uh, uh, I got promoted a year after I got uh, to Alaska in the infantry out outfit. I was a platoon sergeant for a year, and then I got promoted to first sergeant. No and, kidding. And uh, uh, I had a daughter that came down with uh, uh, cancer, and she had to have surgery, and they could only do the uh, – uh, after they did the surgery in Anchorage, I was in the Sergeant Major's Academy and First Sergeant course uh, at the time that she uh, had to have surgery, and I, they couldn't do surgery till I came back to Alaska. So I caught a plane back to Alaska, and they did her surgery. And uh, they had to, I had to take her to Augusta, Georgia, Fort Gordon. Ooh. They reassigned me to Fort Gordon because of uh, her treatment for uh, radiation and uh, chemo. That's a heck of a commute. But uh, 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 we moved to Fort Gordon, and I was first sergeant down there. Uh, and uh, uh, she passed away. And at that time, <clears throat> I got selected for the Sergeant Majors Academy. And I turned the uh, Sergeant Majors Academy down and uh, retired. After uh, how many tw how many years altogether? Th this was I was uh, uh, twenty. Right twenty, at 20. right? At twenty, yeah. okay. And uh, 
I uh, decided that uh, I didn't know where the assignment would be. At that time, the Sergeant Majors Academy, they didn't give you your uh, assignment, what it was going to be until uh, you graduate. graduate. Wow. And a week after I turned it down and put my retirement papers in, uh, I got a letter from General Schumacher, who had selected me for the Sergeant Majors Academy, uh, <clears throat> welcomed me to Delta Force upon completion of the Sergeant Majors no. Academy. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God. I, what year uh, was this, Cleve? This was in uh, so 85. Yeah. 85. Wow, yeah. 65, 20 85. years later, 85. 85. No kidding. And oh my God! I, you know, I still have regrets. It, the The general's timing was off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, by a week. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, actually, the army's timing was off because they should have told people, given oh the God. general idea of where they were going to be assigned, because you get two years additional. Uh, Upon completion. On. Uh, if you go to the sergeant majors academy you get two years right when you get promoted you get two more years so that would have put me to uh 24 years and uh i just wouldn't do it without you just didn't feel like a real baby son after 20 years in the army no <laughs> no but uh, the assignment would have changed i think it would have would have been the uh Knowing where I was going would, sure. have, would have absolutely changed. And you had some other friends that we knew from CCN days that were still involved at Delta Force at that time. Absolutely. One name comes to mind in particular. And, I, you know, I have a sneaky suspicion that he was involved <laughs> in, in the assignment. Uh, I, I, you know, I never did ask him or question him about right. it. But, uh, Our I, mutual friend, Elton Bargewell, the yes. first, the one and the only. But I, I, do, I do think he had it. Because we contacted one another uh, after I uh, I moved back to Alabama after I retired from the army, and uh, I just uh, uh, I got his telef or no I got his email address somehow. And, and I, was he a proud resident of Eufaula? No, no, Alabama no, no, at that no, time. He was no, still up. He was still in Iraq. Oh, is that okay? Sure. And. Uh, I said, you probably don't remember me but uh, in the message, but uh, <laughs> this is baby son. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I was just checking on you, uh, find out when you're coming home. And he said, oh, I remember you. Like and, we all do. And, and yes, and yes, uh, <laughs> uh, I'll be home next month. No kidding. And I said, uh, well, where, where are you coming to? He said, uh, my family is move, moving to uh, Eufaula. And, uh, but I'm gonna be assigned to uh, Fort Bragg for retirement purposes. And uh, he, uh, he came home and they were at Bragg for his retirement. And I, he called me and invited a uh, he invited all the SOG guys that he knew back to Bragg for his retirement, and we all showed up at his retirement. It was it was 
But that was another 20 years later. Yeah. That's 2005. Right. Yeah. But right. you got out in 85. Right. And you're, you suspected him. Be, of course, that he's such a class act. He would never say a word. But he right. would try because he knew you were a good troop. And he had a lot of involvement with Delta Force for years. Oh, yeah. yeah. My God. He was in the second class because he disappeared from the seventh group. And, <laughs> and uh, we didn't know where he went. And he ended up in Delta. Pick a number from A to D, as in Delta. Yes, indeed. Well, um, so uh, from there, the, after your Army career, you did what for a little bit there, and then we'll head uh, on I, down to the uh, finishing lap here. Before I moved back here. to Alabama, I, uh, I got a job with security, at, uh, nuclear security at the Savannah River Nuclear Weapons Plant. And uh, I went on terminal leave and <laughs> uh, the colonel uh, that I worked for at Fort Gordon called me and asked me, he said, uh, would you help move some, uh, uh, there's a fundraiser for a lady in Aiken, South Carolina. Uh, that needs some help moving some stuff. And I want you to come out here to Fort Gordon and uh, take responsibility for moving all this stuff. They're putting on a play or something, and she wants to move all that stuff. I'll give you the detail, and you can go over there and do it. And I did. And uh, I made a – the lady worked at the Savannah Nuclear Weapons Plant at the headquarters of the uh, – it wasn't uh didn't she didn't have anything to do with security but i told when i moved the stuff for with the detail and she was happy and uh invited me to come down to the uh, plant and eat lunch with her and i uh, next day and i did and i told her i'd uh, uh i ate lunch with her and during the meal i told her i'd applied for security at the nuclear weapons plant and she said, you did? And I said, yes, but I've not heard from them. And she picked up the phone and uh, <laughs> got an appointment. Connections again. Got an appointment for me with the uh, employment of uh, the security. Yeah. And uh, next day, I went and filled out all the paperwork and did the polygraph test. And uh, the next week, I started nuclear no kidding and uh my first assignment i was working with a, a retired sergeant major craft he was a shift supervisor of where i was assigned to be a security officer and i went to uh work for him and uh they do a test they do a, a test of security of the nuclear plant they bring in the teams from Delta Force and uh, and Ron Owens and, and people like that. Yeah, yeah, Ron Owens. <laughs> but uh, he uh, and I didn't know he had anything to do with any of that until uh, years later. But uh, they came in to do the test, and I was my post during the test. Uh, we had the shadow force with the. We always carried live ammo. Uh, on all the security positions inside the uh, plant area. Oh, yeah. But uh, 
when they do that test with the Delta Force, uh, we had blanks and that we they put the uh, uh, what do you call the uh, electronic gear, uh, miles gear that goes off, sends your rifle to put an attachment that shoots a laser beam. Right. It sets off the miles gear. We all wear that, and so does so do the uh, Delta Force guys. And uh, I was on the roof of the building the night of the test. With a machine gun, and <laughs> I saw the guys coming uh, off the corner of the plant through the fence, and they climb into a flatbed truck, pull the tarp over them. Three of them get in the cab of the truck, and I call in a report to the uh, shift leader. Uh, I spotted the uh, intruders. They're headed towards the main building. I'm taking them under fire at this time. And I opened up with a machine gun. I got the three guys in the, in the cab, and uh, uh, I was picking them off one at a time. By that time, as they come out from under the tarp, uh, and at that, as by that time, this uh, roving patrols had blocked them in. There's two 10-foot fences and two patrol cars behind them, and they killed mm-hmm. the rest of them. And, the game's over. Wow. But uh, they put them inside the plant, and then they had to, they were going to try to break out. And the guy come up, he turned his miles gear off, but I blazed him with that M60. <laughs> and I just set the M60 down. I said, this guy's dust turned off. Give me live ammo. He'd be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I've accustomed a little, and uh, the, uh, Lieutenant in charge of uh, overall in charge of security. I tried to settle me down some, and uh, the uh, Wackenhut uh, manager out of Florida, the president of Wackenhut Security, uh, carried my machine gun off the <laughs> off the building for me. Uh, next day, I got promoted to a shift supervisor, and they sent me to. Uh, uh, the separation point at the nuclear facility as shift supervisor. And they had never passed uh, the uh, security test when they'd been tested by Delta. And uh, uh, I'd been there about two two or three months. So all that time and your experience as a door gunner came into really good play there. (laughs) (laughs) You're a natural. That's that's weird. That's weird. Yeah, no kidding. But... uh, they came in to test us, so I, I'd always go up in the plant. I'd check my post three or four times during the shift, but we did alternating shifts, mornings, uh, morning shift, evening shift, and midnight shift. But uh, on, you, they always did the test on midnight shift. But I would always go up in the plant, and I knew the operators, the civilian operators uh, with the Department of Energy, because I'd sit and eat lunch with them, and sure. I got to know them. You know how to build team rapport. Uh, and that, yeah, that was a part of security. Absolutely. And uh, and I got to know them, you know, by first name, and when I'd walk through, they'd know, I, they'd wave. or They just called you M60. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got tested. We, we were the first uh, 
team to be test tested. That beat them. That there. Well, yeah, oh, we, we did beat that's them. That's so cool. But I'd, I'd, I'd sat down with the, one of the guys a uh, day before uh, we were to be tested and eat lunch with him. I, I asked him, I said, any strangers been around here lately? Uh, anything strange going on in the building? He said, yeah, there's two guys came through here yesterday. I said, where where they spend most of their time? And he said, well, they went to the door down the hall that way, and then they went down to the uh, one down the hallway by the uh, main separation point. And so there was only two places I knew who it was, and there was only two places <laughs> that they could enter that plant, and that was the two places, and uh, I doubled up security on it the night of the... Uh, uh, the test. Test. And they had a reaction force by helicopter that's in the air that you could call in. Really? Uh, at any time that you needed them. The DOE yeah. assets you had. Yeah. And, uh, any Kingbees? Uh, <laughs> uh, they had little little light, uh, light helicopters, Delta yeah, yeah. Force helicopters. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, they... Uh, the thing went off, and uh, they did hit that door inside the building, and I, I, I sent the rovers in behind them, and they uh, brought another security officer in, and they killed all of them right there at that one door. Wow. First time that, and I, uh, I uh, resigned that night and moved back to Alabama. Really? Yeah. Oh my God! So you moved back to Alabama, and what what happened from there on? Because by now you have at least one pension. I I retired, and for a while <laughs> I went to school for two years with a GI Bill. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And what kind of learning were you getting there? Woodworking and cabinet making. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. Really. And uh, I never did apply it. I, well, I bought a house, and we uh, finished it up on the inside, and I built the cabinets and. Did all the woodwork inside. A and, wood craftsman. And, Indeed. Uh, I, well, I put the money to use. Indeed. Experience. <laughs> but uh, uh, after I uh, got the house built, I started, uh, uh, I got an offer on a job uh, selling meat to grocery stores, and I called on a Bruno's account in uh, large uh, grocery company in Birmingham, Alabama. And they had grocery stores in five states. And my, they put me on a team to go set up brand new grocery stores. All we did was move from one new store to another, set it up on the day that the grocery store opened. Uh, we'd move to another new store and get it ready. Wow. It would take us about a week or ten days to set it up for grand opening. Grand opening days, we'd move to the next one. I helped open uh, 150 grocery stores in seven years. That's that a I lot did. of meat peddling. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I sold a lot of meat. Yeah. But uh, then I totally retired after that. I totally yeah. retired. So is that around that period of time where you, uh, we had the Special Operations Association, you found time to be 
director for uh, a couple tours of duty. You were president for a while. I had uh, and uh, lived had, happily ever after. Well, I had met Deborah and married her, and we were living in in Coleman, my hometown. And uh, one day we bought a computer, and one day I'm sitting there playing on the computer, and I just typed in S O G. And up pops all you guys' names. No. And uh, and contact information on some. And I contacted Lynn Black. Right. And I, I may have contacted you. I don't know, but I. That's a long uh, about long-term memory stuff, brother. But they told me about they told me about Sog and all this stuff. And yeah. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Well, we're getting to that point where we've been chatting for a little while here. Um, before we shut down, any final thoughts or cogitations, ruminations that you might have, sir? No, I'm, uh, this is probably, I don't know where the uh, highlight of my life will be. <laughs> but this, uh, this little trip here, with these special forces soldiers and we solicitate we should illuminate where we are we are in fort uh, outside of fort bragg outside and you and i and other sog men had the privilege of visiting third special forces group that had a sog symposium sog heritage uh three-day event and we're in the middle of that right now right kicked off this morning monday november the 8th and 9th and 10th and uh, we have a chance to meet these young Special Forces men who carried forward in the mission, who are incredible, as well as some of the command elements. And then uh, tomorrow, some guys are going out to the range to see what the latest boy toys are. And in the meantime, they get to talk to the old grayheads like you and I that spent a little time on the ground and saw it. And it's amazing. And the highlight of that are the mountain arts are coming tomorrow. Indeed. The highlight of the day, for sure. So uh, with that thought in mind, any other final thoughts, sir? No. Well, that we're, we're at that point where we close out. We Again, we always thank Jocko Willing Productions for making this all possible for he and his staff. And as always, we thank all of our military, our Border Patrol, first responders, emergency personnel that help to keep our country going, and these days, parents that are fighting for their freedoms here in America. We also thank the men and the women who served our country in years past. Heroes like you, Cleet, Cleet Sinyard, a.k.a. Baby Son, a true soldier, a great man. And we also remember and salute the men and the women who aren't here today, who today in Vietnam alone, as you and I remember, there are 1,584 missing in action, 50 of which are Green Berets alone from the Secret War, and another 83 aviators who died supporting us on the ground at that time. We salute them, and again, we thank Jocko for this production. Until next time, God bless America. Thank you, Till. Airborne, brother. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.